All right, everybody. I guess I guess my secret's out. Hey, good morning. It's great to see you as we continue in our series, Finish Strong. You know, for the last month, we've been using the analogy that, that the Christian life, it's like running a race, running a marathon. So over the last four weeks, we talked about how to run with endurance. Then we talked about how to overcome obstacles. Then last week, we talked about how to develop a runner's mindset. And today, I want to talk to you about how to run with purpose. Are you ready? I hope it's a sweet message for you. Here we go. We have an outline for our message. It's a gold-colored sheet found in your program. Take that out. Let's use it to follow along. And while you're doing that, I'd like to share with you an old African proverb that goes like this. Every morning in Africa, a gazelle wakes up, and it knows it must outrun the fastest lion or it will be killed. And every morning in Africa, a lion wakes up and knows it must run faster than the slowest gazelle or it will starve. So you see, it doesn't matter whether you're a lion or a gazelle. When the sun comes up, you better be running. And friends, run we do. Many of us, you run your life from morning until night, and you run fast and hard. And this is what I know. The majority of people in the Bay Area... They're emotionally depleted, they're physically exhausted, and they're spiritually burnt out. And I want you to look at this proverb of the lion and the gazelle. Their purpose when they run is that they're just trying to survive. They're just trying to make it through another day without starving. But can I tell you, for us and for you, God made you for more than just survival, Yes, he made you to run, but he made you to run with purpose. And we see that purpose very clearly in what I call my favorite running passage in all the Bible. It's from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. And I'd like us to run through this passage together. Let's take a look at it. It says this, Don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So... Run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with what? Purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I'm not just going through the motions. I'm in it to win it. So I, I go after, and it says this, I discipline my body like an athlete training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Now, would you underline that phrase? So, run to win. Run to win. Now, I want you to think about it. As you're running your life right now, can I ask you a key question? What does it mean for you to win? How do you know in all the things you're doing day in and day out, how do you know if you are really winning in life? Do you know, according to the world, the world's definition of winning can be summed up in three words. I hope you'll write these down. Here's here's the world's definition of winning. Riches, fame, and power. And the world just tells me, if I can get those things, money, power, possession, then I'll be successful and I'll be a winner. But can I tell you this? This is what I know. You can have all three of those and still be miserable. 
You can have all three of those and still be a miserable failure. I think of the words of Jesus found in Luke 12, 15, where Jesus said, beware. Don't always be wishing for what you don't have. For real life and real living are not related to how rich we are. Now, let me clarify this, this whole thought of, of riches, fame, and power. Nothing wrong with those things. In fact, I know firsthand because uh, I don't know if you knew this about me or not, but, but I have all three. Did you know that? Your pastor's rich. Man, he's famous. He's powerful. Did you know that? I mean, I'm not kidding. Huh? I'm one of the richest men in Fremont. I mean, I'm loaded. Man, I'm wealthy. Don't have any money in my bank account. But can I tell you, I have a rich relationship with God. And I have a rich family life with a wife who adores me and kids who respect me. And I have rich friendships and a wonderful church family. Sometimes I feel like the wealthiest man in Fremont. And it has nothing to do with my bank account. And when it comes to fame, can I tell you? Can I tell you this? Like nobody in the music industry is calling me. (laughs) Nobody in Hollywood is like knows my name. And you know, in the top political circles, they're not calling me to ask me my opinion. They don't even know who I am. But can I tell you, there's a king. And he's the king of kings. And he not only knows me, but we're on a first name basis. And when he talks about me, do you know he calls me great? He says that I'm famous. And I'm not making this up. I mean, look at the words of Jesus himself in Mark chapter 10, verses 43 and 44. Jesus defined greatness as servanthood. And he said that anyone who would step up to serve God by serving others would be great in God's eyes. Famous, if you will. So, hey, guys, your pastor, he's rich. He's famous and powerful. Can I tell you, I have Jesus alive in me. And he has given me the power to do great things. Like things like love well and forgive those who have hurt me. And let go of the pursuit of stuff to become a generous giver. He has given me the power to change lives for eternity and make a difference for good in the world. So you see what I did here, right? You saw how I took the world's definition of winning. I just turned it into God's definition of winning. And it's so important, friends. I want you to do the same thing. Because the Bible tells us if you go after the world's way of winning... Look what it says in the Bible in 1 John chapter 2. There on your outline, in 1 John 2, 16, it says this. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, it comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires, what? Man, you go after those things, you're not going to win, you're going to lose. They pass away. But whoever does the will of God, what? Wins. Friends, I want you to win in life. I want you to run to win, but you got to win God's way. In fact, can I give you the best definition of God's way of winning? Would you write this down? Here's what it means to win. To be who God made me to be and do what God made me to do. See, when I become who God made me to be and I do what God made, made me to do, I win. I win in life. In fact, right here in Fremont, 
there are some people who are asked, what does it mean to win God's way? What does it mean to like run with purpose? One local pastor in Fremont said these words, for me to win, it's to know Christ and to make him known. 21 years ago, I asked a teenager down at Lake Elizabeth, hey, young man, what's the purpose of your life? And he didn't even blink an eye. He said these words, the purpose of my life is to go to heaven and to take as many people with me as possible. Man, that kid was a winner. And you know, even as a church, we've defined winning for our church. Our mission is to lead seekers, to love Christ, love others, and live life on purpose. And I want you to look at your outline. Look at all these definitions. Friends, do you know if you will orient your life that direction, man, you'll live with power and purpose and passion. And in the end, you will win. Do you know, in my life, I've run a lot of marathons, physical marathons and spiritual. And as your pastor, I want to challenge you to run well, to finish your race. I want to inspire you. So so this morning in my message, I want to give you four great running tips that will help you run well this life of faith, and it will help you win. So there on your outline, number one, the first one's foundational. Like it's the starting point. Like if you're going to run your race of faith well, you have to start here. Number one is to remember this. We don't train to earn God's love. We train because we treasure God's love. Do you get it? Do you see it? We don't, we don't train to earn God's love. We train to treasure God's love. And I want to be crystal clear here. We don't go into training. So somehow, like if I, if I do my spiritual disciplines and go to church and pray and do all the spiritual stuff, then God will accept me and love me. No, no, no. See, God settled that matter 2,000 years ago when he sent Christ to come, be born in a manger, grow up, die on the cross and resurrect from the dead. See, God decided even before you were born, he decided that he loved you and wanted you. See, it's about receiving his love, not trying to earn it. But once you receive it, you want to treasure it and value it. Let me see if I can explain it this way. I was doing some premarital counseling with a a young couple getting ready to get married. And we were talking about the importance of spiritual compatibility. Like God's ideal is both husband and wife side by side, worshiping the Lord together, praying together, serving God together, worshiping together. And so we were talking about this and the bride, you know, she was all in. She loved the Lord. The the fiance, he was a little like, I believe in God. I'm kind of, but I don't know if I'm really there yet. And I said, hey, let's, let's nail this down. Do you really know what it means to be a Christian? Do you know, have you asked Christ for forgiveness? Have you invited him into your life? Have you received his gift of eternal life? And he said, well, I'm not sure if I I understand all that. I said, well, let's open up our Bibles together. And let me show you how the Bible explains what it means to be a Christian. And we turn to the same passage that I printed on the bottom of your outline. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says this, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And I said, God's grace is him giving you a gift that you don't have to buy, earn, pay for, or deserve. And he gave you the gift of his son, Jesus, who died for your sins. And the only thing you need to do is receive the gift. And when you do, God forgives your sins, adopts you into his family, sends the Holy Spirit to come live in your life, and he gives you the gift of eternal life. And I said, so I want to ask you a very important question. And the same question I asked this young man, I'm asking of all of you today. I looked him in the eyes and I said this, have you personally asked Christ to come into your life to save you and be the Lord of your life? He thought for a second, he said, yes, I've done that. And I said, then you're a Christian. You have the Lord, you have salvation. Now what God wants most for you is he wants you to grow spiritually. He wants you to go into training. And the fiance, this young lady said, wait, wait, Pastor Paul, time out. I thought you said salvation was a gift, like we don't have to work for it. Why do we have to do anything? And I thought, that's a good question, isn't it? I mean, why do we have to do anything? I said, I thought, man, I I better explain this really well. So I looked around my office for some inspiration. And I saw this picture frame in my office. And I grabbed this off my wall. And I said, say that we are really good friends. And I wanted to give you a gift. Because I love you. I picked out this picture frame and I give you this gift. You don't have to pay for it. You don't have to buy it. The only thing you have to do is receive it as a gift. But can I tell you, if you really treasured and loved this picture frame, you know what you do? You'd hang it up in a place of honor in your home. You put a really nice picture inside of it. I said, you know, salvation is just like that. It's just like this picture frame. You don't have to buy it. You you just have to receive it as a gift. But if you treasure the gift, you're going to put it in a place where everyone can see it. And you're going to put something really special inside of it. And that's our training. Not to earn it. We've already received it. We're just saying, hey, I'm going to treasure this. I'm going to put my heart into it. That's the first training tip. Can I give you the second one? The second training tip, turn your outline over. This one is really all about the results. Like this will help you know if you're really training the right way because here's the results. Here's the training tip. We, we're training should make us more like Jesus, not more judgmental. Can I get an amen? amen? Training should make us more like Jesus, not more judgmental. One of my favorite running jokes is the story of two PG&E workers, a senior training supervisor and a young trainee. They, they were in San Francisco, and they parked in this alleyway, and they went down and they checked all the gas meters along the alleyway. And when they came to the last one, right above them was a kitchen window, and a, a lady was there. She was washing dishes, and she is watching these two PG&E workers work on the gas meter. Well, when they finished, the, the supervisor said to the, other, to the young guy, he said, hey, you look like you're in pretty good shape. He said, I'd like to challenge you to a foot race back to the truck. And the young guy says, hey, you're on. And I said, okay, ready, set, go. And they started running, and they're running to the truck. But right when they get there, they look behind them, and the same woman who was up in the window, man, she's running, and she's huffing and puffing. And they turn around, and I said, oh, my gosh, lady, what are you doing? 
She said, when I see two gas workers running away from my house full speed, I'm not taking any chances, right? She had no idea why she was running. And I tell you that story because, do you know, that's how a lot of people run their spiritual lives. Like I go to church, I sing the songs, I try to say some prayers, but I don't have a clue what I'm really doing this for. I don't know what the goal, do you understand the goal of spiritual growth and training? Well, the Bible tells us that loud and clear. It says this in Romans 8, 29 on your outline. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to what? Become like his son. Would you underline that phrase, become like his son? Do you see, God's on a mission in your life. As you sit, he's working on your life to make you more like Christ. He wants you to be more like Jesus in word and deed and heart and character. He wants you to be the hands and the feet and the voice of Jesus so that when the world looks at you and your life, they get a picture of what God's really like. One of my favorite ways to explain this is the true story of a little boy in New York City. It was Christmas time. It was really cold. He was standing in front of a window at Macy's on the outside looking in. And this woman walked by. She sees this little boy in a torn T-shirt, ratty jeans, tore up tennis shoes. And she sees this boy and she says, young man, what are you doing out here with no coat? And she looked at the one. he looked at the one and said, Lady, I don't have a coat. And she said, well, young man, come with me. And she took him by the hand. She took him into Macy's. She bought him new shoes, new pants, a new shirt, a coat, a hat, some gloves. And when they went outside the store, she said, now, young man, you can be warm and have a nice Christmas. And that little boy looked up at that woman. He looked her in the eyes and he said this, ma'am, are you God? Somehow, and she just smiled at him and said, no, son, I'm just one of his children. And that boy said, I knew you must be related. Because somehow in that little boy's mind, he equated, man, this is what God must really be like. God is caring and giving and kind. And friends, you know, you know, God wants the same thing for you. The purpose of running and training is to become more like Christ so that the result is people see Christ in me. Men, listen to me. When your buddies hang out with you and your coworkers are in your presence, they should go, I don't know what it is, but every time I hang out with that guy, I feel encouraged and I believe in God more. And I have this hope like God could use my life too. And ladies, listen to me. When your girlfriends hang out with you and your coworkers and neighbors and friends, they should go, when they walk away from your presence, they should go, I don't know what it is, but I feel like I've, I've kind of been with Jesus. That's spiritual growth. But on the other side, can I tell you, the sad truth is it is possible to engage in all kinds of spiritual activity, but instead of becoming more loving, and gracious, and kind, and forgiving. If you take it down a bad road, you can become more judgmental, and self-righteous, and prideful. And I think that's what happened to the Pharisees and the religious leaders of Jesus' day. 
In fact, in Matthew 23, 23 on your outline, Jesus goes off on some religious leaders. I mean, he calls them out and he calls them hypocrites, not because they weren't spiritual enough, but because they missed the whole point of spirituality. See, the religious leaders, they use spiritual training to lift themselves up so that they could look down on others. And Jesus spoke right into that when he said these words. Yes, woe to you Pharisees, you other religious leaders, hypocrites. For you tithe down to the last mint leaf in your garden, but you ignore the important things. Justice, mercy, and faith. Yes, you should tithe, but you shouldn't leave the more important things undone. Guys, think about this passage. Jesus didn't condemn the Pharisees for maintaining spiritual disciplines, but for missing the heart of them. See, these religious leaders, they assumed, hey, because I tithe and I pray and I read my Bible and I go to church, that makes me more spiritual than you. And that means God probably loves me more than you. So, nah, 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 nah. You know, that was the heart of it. And Jesus said, no, no, no. See, listen to this. Jesus is saying it's more important. It's more important than practicing the disciplines of spiritual growth. More important than training is the type of heart that it produces. A humble heart that helps people know and trust God. Are you winning? Are you running well? Well, the third piece of advice, so key when running a marathon, is to stay the course. And avoid shortcuts. Stay the course and avoid shortcuts. Basketball coach Bobby Knight says it well on your outline when he said, The will to succeed is important, but what's more important is the will to prepare. Friends, it's true in running a marathon. None of you are going to wake up tomorrow morning and say, Oh, I think I'll go out and run a marathon today. Man, the only way that you will run a marathon is if you prepare and train. There are no shortcuts. The same is true in running the marathon of faith. Kind of reminds me of two famous marathoners from the 80s. Maybe you'll remember, the first one I want to tell you about is uh, Rosie Ruiz. Do you guys remember Rosie in 1980? Rosie was declared the winner of the Boston Marathon recording one of the fastest times for women of her day, two hours, 31 minutes, and 56 seconds. The only problem is they found out eight days later that she jumped into the race during the last mile. And for all of history, she has been known as the Boston Marathon cheater. That's Rosie Ruiz. On the other side of that, there's another marathon runner by the name of Bob Weiland. Bob Weiland, in 1986, he ran the New York City Marathon, and he finished dead last. In fact, check this out. Are you ready? It took him four days, two hours, 48 minutes, and 17 seconds. It was unquestionably the slowest marathon time in recorded history. But you know what makes Bob Weiland famous? Is Bob ran with only his arms. See, he lost both legs serving as a soldier in Vietnam. And he refused to quit, and he crossed the finish line of the marathon. No shortcuts. 
He finished dead last, but he became famous because he finished. Now, let me drive this point home even more. I want to show you five pictures of five top world famous athletes. And as you see their, their pictures, here's what I want you to think. I want you to try to figure out what do these five top athletes all share in common? So let's take a look. The first one is Canadian sprinter Ben Johnson. Remember him? Or what about famous figure skater Tanya Harding? Remember her? Or what about heavyweight boxer Mike Tyson? Or Olympic runner Marion Jones? Or our last one, how about Tour de France cyclist Lance Armstrong. You guys know those names. You know who they are. Do you know what they all share in common? What is it? Cheating, steroids, shortcuts. Last service, someone said, yeah, they bite. No, that's Mike Tyson. He, you know that. But, but here's, if you're taking notes on your outline, would you write this down? Here's what they all share in common. Just on, your, on the side of your notes, write this. Great starts... Lousy finishes. Great. I mean, these guys started out great. I mean, they put in the work. They put in the training. They became top in their fields. But at the very end, they took a shortcut that cost them their medals, their titles, their championships, and they got DQ'd, disqualified for shortcuts. Now, the reason I'm saying all this is because some of you, as you sit here today, you think, man, I can't run for God. God can't use me. I've made too many mistakes. I've messed up. I've had such a lousy start. But friends, can I tell you, you you can have a lousy start and a great finish if you will orient your life from this day forward to say, man, I'm going to follow Christ, live for him, no shortcuts. In fact, it's this, this, is, this tip is the same advice that you get when you hike Diamond Head in Hawaii. All along the trail, they have signs that say this, stay on the trail, shortcuts cause erosion. It's true physically and spiritually. Or maybe the fatherly advice that I give my kids all the time, this is what I tell my kids, do your best, trust God for the rest, and stay the course. Galatians 6, 9 Here's how it explains it from the Bible. It says this, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will win. We will reap a harvest if we do not give up, if we stay the course and avoid shortcuts. And then the last tip I want to give you is a great training tip. It's look forward to the awards ceremony. And can I tell you that God's awards ceremony is sweeter than a donut. Can I tell you, God's award ceremony goes like this. As you cross your finish line, Jesus himself will be cheering you across that line. And he's just waiting to say these words to you. Found from the book of Matthew on your outline to say to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. 
See, the award ceremony, can I tell you, one of the reasons that I keep pushing and pastoring and training and trying to reach people for Christ is I, man, I want the happiness of heaven. And I want that for you too. Can I tell you this past month, I got one of the most real reminders of how important it is for us to run well individually, but for us to run well as a church. And I got a phone call from a former church member. Kathy Davis called me to inform me that her husband, Gene, had died from heart failure. And it was devastating. See, back in the 90s, we, we won Kathy Davis to Christ. I mean, Kathy had been away from the Lord for a long time. She gave her heart to Jesus. And guess what? Man, she treasured God's grace in her heart. And she started to grow to become like Christ. And she started using her gifts to serve. And her passion was acting. And so she got involved in our drama ministry. I used to call Kathy Davis the drama queen of Crossroads. And she was. Well, here's the deal. Kathy's husband, Gene, man, he was skeptical. Man, he, he, he had had a bad taste in his mouth from some Christians and churches who who didn't run well and did some damage. But Gene saw the life change in Kathy's heart. And Kathy would do these dramas, and, and Gene wouldn't come to church all the time, but when we'd have a drama, he would come to church for his wife. But he started hearing about Christ. He started seeing a church not filled with perfect people, but real people who were trying to run well. And it started to touch him and change him. And friends, it didn't happen quickly. It took 10 years. But finally, guys, I was there when Gene prayed to give his heart to Jesus. I had the honor of baptizing Gene Davis. And just before they they moved to Manteca, uh, but just before they left, Gene's passion was stained glass. And just before they left, he made this as a gift to cross. He made this cross. And he gave it to me. He said, Pastor Paul, I want this to be a reminder to the church. Stay true. Keep running to lead seekers, to love Christ, love others, and live life on purpose. Because if Jesus can save me, he can save anyone. And man, so, man, I treasure this cross. But when I heard the news that Gene had passed away, one thing I knew, I knew that this next verse on your outline was true for Gene. And I want it to be true for you. This is what it says. 2 Timothy 4, 7 through 9. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there's in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have longed for his appearing. Friends, let's train well let's run on purpose and let's know that it will glorify god it will bless our lives and it will lead other people to eternity let's pray together as we pray i want you to just take in a deep breath and think about your life are you winning On this day, will you commit to run, like to run and win God's way? 
Will you say in your heart, Jesus, I want to receive you into my heart and treasure your grace. Will you pray, God, grow me to be more like your son, Jesus, so that people can see you, see you in and through my life. And when some of you walk through these doors today, the truth is you are discouraged. Would you pray, God, help me to stay the course and not quit. And God, no shortcuts. I will trust that for your glory and goodness that you are waiting for me on the finish line to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen.